Hi, it's Alex. By the way, those closest to me call me Xander. Before we listen to this last episode, I want you to do something for me, okay? If you can, find someplace quiet and dark and get comfortable. Trust me, I know it sounds weird. I like to be seated with my feet planted on the floor, my palms down and open. Now, take a deep breath in through your nose. Fill your lungs. Stretch out your chest. Hold it there for a moment. Okay? And exhale with a sigh. (sighs) Feel a little better? I hope so. You'll understand a bit more once we finish this episode. This is Psychological Injury, Exploring Racial Trauma. I'm Alex Spearman. Over the last three episodes, we have learned what racial trauma is, how it could manifest in people's lives, and the gaps that exist in the mental health care system when it comes to treating it. In my own experience with racial trauma, a therapist suggested I read the book My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma, and the Mending of Our Bodies and Hearts. And what Goodreads describes as a groundbreaking work, therapist Resma Menachem examines the damage caused by racism in America from the perspective of body-centered psychology. The book, which I would describe as part history lesson, part personal narrative, and part self-help guide, affected me in such a profound way that it inspired me to produce this podcast. So to wrap things up, I wanted to sit down with Resma himself to not only learn his inspiration for the book, but to give you all listening a bit of hope and some tools that we can all use right now to better navigate our trauma. Here's our conversation. Uh, my name is Resma Minikam. I am a uh, clinical social worker trauma uh, specialist. Um, I've been doing this work for about 30 years. Um, and I'm a, uh, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Um, and I love my people. What led you to write My Grandmother's Hands? Hmm. Well, a couple of things. First, first thing is I did, um, I did two years in Afghanistan working with, um, working with military contractors. Um, during that time, I ended up um, uh, going through a process, which I know now is called override. So I overrode all of the things that were happening to me at the time in order to survive it in order to give people uh, some resource uh, uh, and to let people know that there was somebody there that cared for them. Um, and so what I did was, was put my own response to the trauma and the overwhelming conditions, took my own response and pushed those down. And it didn't, they didn't start popping back up. I did it from 2011 to 2013. Those symptoms didn't start popping back up um, until I came home in 2013. So what I tell people is that I came home in 2013. I didn't actually land until 2015, which means I didn't even, I didn't show up until 2015. And during that time, I went through a bunch of um, uh, traumatic things like, you know, suicide attempts, um, different things regarding uh, just reckless behavior, uh, very short, couldn't attack, couldn't, couldn't connect with my family the way that I wanted to. Uh, luckily, you know, my wife literally saved my life by um, um, not letting me 
uh, just um, sit <laughs> and you know work it through yourself. Um, and so um, and so what that did was was prompted as I was going through that and coming out of it, it prompted some memories and some things that had happened between me and my grandmother, who uh, who at four years old um, was walking up and down cotton rows, picking cotton. So it scratched her hands and made her hands bleed. Uh, the, the book, as you read in the book, it's a story about when I was rubbing her hands one day and then she looks at me and, she, and I asked her about why her hands were so fat. And she said, boy, that's from picking cotton. And then her cadence picked up. And, it, and, and the weight of the situation of her being four years old showed up in a room between me and her right then. And her cadence picked up, she got very intense and started talking about what it was like to watch her hands bleed. Um, and so that, I didn't remember that story again, brother, until I started writing <laughs> my grandmother's hands. Uh, and, and, and so that, that came to, so what came together was my own experience of my own personal trauma with the ex historical experience of my grandmother. And so that's how the book came about. So in a nutshell, the book is really about giving us some ways in, in terms of how trauma actually works, how racialized trauma works, um, and how racialized trauma is both, it has, has um, um, uh, kind of tentacles to it. Racialized trauma is historical, it's intergenerational, it's persistent institutional, and it is personal. So a lot of times when things happen to us, when we have a personal experience, we also are picking up on the historical stuff. That's why the weight of it seems like it's engulfing. You know what I mean? It feel, it, we have a sense that, that it's too much. That, and, and so uh, we end up, what, what bodies of culture end up doing and black bodies in particular end up doing is saying, well, something must be wrong with me because when I'm looking at everybody else, everybody else seems to be doing fine, right? And, and, and what it is, is that the historical gets hooked into the intergenerational, gets hooked into the persistent institutional and then our own personal traumas spark it. And so we can watch something or have an experience in an organization where somebody is treating us or we have an experience in a particular way that we have some sense is racialized and uh, it, part, it, it, it sparks up all of the historical stuff. So watching something like what happened to brother George Floyd also sparks the historical, also sparks the intergeneration, right? And we haven't developed a communal language for that piece. So my book really is about getting us, if you notice in my book, this is why I say people have to read that book and keep coming back to it over and over and over again, because the most important thing of the book are the practices. Right. It is not just, you know, the information, the information is fine, but you but there's an emergent um, a, a, an emergent uh, emergent information that you get as you practice it, as you keep coming back to it, as you work with what shows up, as you scribe, as you read, as you do it with other people. Oh, sorry, I got the I had the audiobook version um, mm -hmm. originally, and I ended up buying uh, yeah. the written because of the that exercises. Ha that, that happens quite, yeah. That happens quite. I was I wasn't ready, and I was like, "This is it, it's valuable." It's in it, and, and like so I screen grabbed some of them just so I can have like different portions of the mm -hmm. exercises specifically were transformational. Mm, brother, thank you for that. Um, thank you for saying that. 
the the I every I I can t- I I can't even count how many times a day that I just check in with my body. Yes. And that one thing within itself has done so much for my well being. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, this is a story. I'm, I'm I'm gonna get back to work here in a second. But that within no, itself, this is work. This is the work. This that within itself work. has been done so much for my well being and and helped me move through instances that would be or are traumatic ever since then and helped me put in perspective um an understanding that it's not me yeah but i'm it's like what i used to think was especially in instances i would say at work and i real quick like i was like is it me like what did i do and then i started thinking about is it because i'm black and nine times out of ten it's because i'm black and yeah. everyone else around me is not. And right. the the weight that was lifted off my shoulders yeah. with that understanding, knowing the, knowing the reason, and I, th- I, I think you might've said this in the book, like knowing the reason isn't an excuse, but it gives context and perspective yes. understanding for, for me to not carry that anymore. Um, why was it so important for you to include those specific exercises and practices? That body-centered approach. Right. What, what brought that about? Because because well, you just so so I, I just gotta say this, bro. So we are so conditioned to think that we are defective, right? That is not episodic, that's structural, <laughs> right? It is built into the cake of white body supremacy, right? And so one of the reasons why um, you went through that thing you said, is it me? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, uh, and, and then you say, is, is it because I'm black? And then when you got to the place where you said, that's, that's it. That's part of it. That's it, right? When you got to that place, you said something that was so beautiful. You said it created context. That's the most beautiful thing. I didn't even realize when I was writing the book that my people would pick it up and go, Resma, this helps me in terms of just context to know that I'm not crazy, that this is happening, right? And so the reason why I wrote it in terms of from the body is because all of that stuff that you just mentioned lands in the body. It weathers our brain architecture. It weathers the intricate the uh, the intricate system. It weathers the the uh, the uh, sexual uh, reproductive system. It weathers um, our cardio. It weathers every part of our body. But we don't we don't talk about that. We don't say that this is actually like that being in a structure where the white body deems and has deemed itself the supreme standard by which all bodies humanity shall be measured structurally and philosophically, that being born into a system like that weathers the architecture of our bodies. One of the one of the things that I, I that um, that I found very valuable in, in the way you structured the book is from this approach of uh, of black people, specifically African Americans, law enforcement, and white people. Um, what was your goal in doing that? So so so, uh, brother. One of the things that I so I'm writing like two more books right now, right? And sometimes when you when I'm writing, what I've discovered about my writing at least is that I can't tell where the holes are in my, in my um, 
precepts in my configuration in the way I'm, I'm, I'm in my rubric, I can't tell what that is until I actually get it written, right? And one of the mistakes I made in my grandmother's hands is that I associated a vocation with a body. So I called blue bodies, right? If I had the book to write over again, I wouldn't have called them blue bodies. They are just blue shirts. They're just blue uniforms, right? They are people who come from the same uh, muck that we come from as it relates to white body supremacy. So one of the reasons why I wanted to structure this is that, structure it that way is that I wanted, I wanted black bodies and bodies of culture to understand that we are not defective, nothing's wrong with us. And the things that we believe to be happening, the things that we experience to be happening are actually happening individually and communally. I wanted white people to understand that they, that they have, they have ingested things and they're, and, 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 and the, the amount of, of um, work that needs to be done in their communities to uproot white body supremacy cannot be couched in their individual um, moves towards niceness, niceness or um, uh, uh, kindness. From your perspective, what needs to be done to properly address racial trauma within the realm of mental health well-being? Well, one of the things, and this is going, this is this is probably some of the mental health people that are listening to this are probably going to take umbrage with, with this, but I don't really care. Um, the first thing that most therapists, because most therapists are white therapists, the most the first thing that they need to do is that they need to uh, embrace critical race theory. That's the first thing, um, because they don't really have an understanding of what is and what has happened and what impacts black Latin, black bodies and Asian bodies. And they have no understanding of what that is in indigenous bodies. So I think they need to embrace that so they can deal with all of the constriction and all of the embedded supremacy that is in them, right? Um, because because the, because right now, the way that, 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 that therapy is couched is that the white the white theorist and the white ideas and the white understanding of it is not communal and mind you not communal understanding individual understanding is housed in 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 racialized and racist thought and racist ideas and so to, i think about it like this anybody who says that they're against critical race theory is for racism because that is what's that that is the foundation of this country. It is what it grew up out of. So if you're not for, think about this, if you're not for critical race theory, just break that out. You're looking at race with a critical lens, right? Anybody that is not for that is for racism and white body supremacy. So in therapy, I think we got to start at the root. And the root is that we believe that Erickson and Freud and all of these people that undergird our work cannot really take that lens and then put it on the indigenous body without understanding racialization. You can't put it on the black body without understanding racialization. You can't put it on the white body without understanding how the white body is advantaged by that racialization. For people who are realizing that they're experiencing that, been diagnosed or what have you, what should they do? First thing is that they need to do is pause and stop. 
and, and say to themselves in the mirror, beautiful black body, you are not defective. And then pause with it, hold it, work with it, scribe on it, rock with it, wail with it, hold, let somebody actually hold you. Black folks, black folks won't, when we're going through something, we have a hard time letting our people hold us, not just physically, but emotionally, right? And going through racialized trauma is not an individual experience only. It is, it is also a communal experience. So we must do communal things in order to heal a communal trauma and terror that has happened and continues to happen. And then the next thing to do is get my book, My Grandmother's Hands. <laughs> That was Bresma Menikin, author of My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Mending of Our Bodies and Hearts. You can also check out his books, Monsters in Love, The Quaking of America, and the Somatic Abolitionist 12-Month Practice Book, all online at Resma.com. I'd like to thank Resma, along with Raymond Fisher, Raymond Fisher II, Nershan Sentenbos, Janice Evans, and Deborah Cruz for their support and participation in this process. I am so grateful for your time. You can connect with Evans online and find therapy resources on her blog, jlevanslpc.com. You can connect with Cruz at debraandcruz.com. I'll also provide links in this episode's show notes. This has been Psychological Injury, Exploring Racial Trauma. I'm Alex Spearman. Be well. Be well.